one of these. Yeah, some nice sides of this wall. <laughs> This stand especially is a pretty cool, cool spot. Um, it's, I've liked working out in this one. Yeah, me too. New York State is home to many tree species. The North Country itself has a diverse variety with deep and expansive forests throughout the region. In the lowlands of the North Country, where water flows downward and stagnates, lie forested wetlands, home to a lesser known tree species. Black ash is a slow-growing species of ash tree that grows in these areas. The tree itself is culturally important to many indigenous and First Nation groups in what is now eastern North America and the Great Lakes region. Black ash also serves an important ecological role, helping to maintain water table levels within these forested wetlands. On this episode of Naturally Speaking, we'll be heading into the woods with Angelo Johnson, a member of the Aquasasne community and a basket maker, to talk about black ash and its importance here in the North Country. We will discuss what black ash is and the Akwesasne traditions surrounding the tree, the threats that the invasive emerald ash borer poses to black ash, and how the cultural identity of people from Akwesasne will be directly affected by emerald ash borer. I'm your host, River Matthew. If you just want to introduce yourself, uh, talk a bit about who you are and what you do. All right, well, my name is Angelo Johnson. And I work with the St. Regis Mohawk tribe. I am the land resource technician there and do a lot of work with the emerald ash borer and, you know, conserving the uh, natural resources around the environment field. Right. And you're a basket maker as well, right? Yep. Yep. I uh, make baskets. I've probably been making baskets for going on eight years now. And uh, it's pretty cool. It was a tradition hand down to me by uh, my father and my uncles and great uncles. To visualize the kind of baskets Angelo is talking about here, picture anything ranging from beautiful decorative baskets with different colored strips of wood woven into the basket in beautiful patterns, to large, sturdy, backpack-esque baskets used for carrying heavy loads while in the field. The baskets made out of black ash have a variety of uses, described by Angelo in great detail. He also talks about how the area around Akwesasne is especially suited for the growth of black ash, making it such an important species for the people who have lived in that area. Akwesasne uh, is right off the uh, St. Lawrence River, and it's right where um, a bunch of other rivers come in. It, there's the the um, the Racket River, the St. Regis River, and uh, just downstream there's the Salmon River, and um, that location where Akwesasne is is pretty low land, so there was a lot of black ash there in general. And um, culturally, we've been making baskets for you know a few thousand years, and um, it we utilize it all the way from ceremonial purposes, like uh, when people are getting married and stuff. They we do an exchange of baskets, you know, to kind of symbolize, um, I guess, like the vows to each other, you know. You, incorporate what you're going to bring to the marriage in the basket and you trade it kind of like how wedding rings would be traded and um you know from ceremonial things like that um right to child care you know we make um baby baskets like bassinets to you know carry the little ones and we use it in all different aspects of life like uh for fishing hunting and trapping 
things like that because of the rigidity it's it's a really good pack for um going out to the field and on the river and stuff like that and uh it's also used in the garden for harvesting uh you know the traditional foods <coughs> and um yet there's even uh ways we prepare our food with uh baskets uh there's a certain weave we can put on some black ash baskets to wash corn so we'll grow corn and then uh, to preserve it we um we wash it a certain way with ash from black ash trees green ash trees and then uh we sift it around inside the basket and that kind of removes the um the hull of the seed and then that way we can preserve it longer and it goes right into our traditional meals and things like that yeah that's super cool i hadn't realized any of that stuff really that's really interesting yeah um, <clears throat> um basket basket making is a really great um way to pass on knowledge from generation to generation because there's all kinds of things that tie into it as well like when you're making the baskets um right from harvesting the log to turning it into a basket you know there's a big long process and you know the elders the ones that teach you know that passes knowledge on you know, they really emphasize you know the respect for the surroundings you know like what nature's giving us there's that symbiotic relationship we have with uh with the environment you know and it's it's giving us something in return you know and we'll, we'll offer our prayers and you know give tobacco and um you know it's really approach it with that mindset that you know we we're not only taken but we give as well and um, we carry these baskets with us you know throughout our lives and the way these baskets are made they they can last like hundreds of years you know I have some baskets that were my great great uncles and what they made and they're still holding steady today wow yeah yeah that's really cool yeah a lot of like patience and um dedication goes into into this craft and that's one of the main um main aspects that we like to we like to hand down right yeah, yeah. super neat um so why why black ash in particular what's what, what are the qualities of the wood that sort of allow it to be a good tree for making baskets yeah well the um the structure of the uh, growth rings itself it's a uh, real porous the uh, the growth ring structure of the black ash and um the way we process it is that uh, we take the blunt side of an axe um back in the day we just use a, a log a carved stick you know a mallet basically and um, when we hit it with with that mallet it crushes those fibers and it releases the growth rings from each other and they become pliable and uh, once they're nice and pliable like that you can work it down it has a really nice smooth grain it splits really nice into these nice fine pieces that you can really you can really um, refine down to workable splints Angelo has just described to us why black ash is such a good tree for making baskets. The ability to pound the log and peel apart each growth ring to create a splint and then weave that into a basket is not shared amongst all trees. And many tree species do not exhibit the same growth pattern as black ash, making it much more difficult to pound, say, an oak or a maple log and peel those rings apart. And so, I guess, what uh, what are sort of the qualities of 
the particular trees when you're going to harvest a tree because um, you're not using all the trees right yep <laughs> yep so um yeah one of the uh the main things you really want to look for with quality basket tree is its environment you know you want to find a place where it's really growing nice and healthy and fast uh lowland wetland areas uh, right on that threshold from upper to lower wetlands you'll find a lot of black ash and um like a uh, southern aspect uh, facing hills and things like that you'll really find some good black ash there's uh, some wet areas down below and uh, things like that it's also like uh, the forest community I guess you could say like the other trees around it will have an effect on them as well like um, I've noticed in the time I've worked with it whenever I harvest trees close to carnivorous trees the um, there's a competition for nutrients in the soil and um, it affects the quality of the splint and uh, you can you can really see it when you break it down to refine it so there's all these different types of things you got to look for mm-hmm. you also want to like take a really good look at the tree um, you want to look for any bends or wounds that might affect the uh, the growth of it all because because um, if one side's damaged up top you can you can kind of see the effect in the splint all the way down to the trunk close to the roots if there's a big limb that snapped off you know years ago on one side of the tree you can actually read it in the splints themselves once you uh, cut it down and harvest it you start peeling it off and you'll notice the growth rings get real tight real small on the sides that are damaged so these are all things you kind of look for before you harvest a tree Angelo has showed us that there's a large amount of traditional ecological knowledge surrounding black ash and the ways in which his people have used it to craft baskets for thousands of years. This knowledge, however, and the ways in which it's passed down from generation to generation, is under threat. Emerald ash borer, or EAB, was introduced to the United States in the 1990s and first detected in Michigan in 2002. The insect lays eggs on the inside of the bark of ash trees, and when the larvae emerge, they consume the vascular tissue of the tree, where nutrients and water flow throughout the trunk. In doing so, emerald ash borer has the potential to kill 100% of the ash trees in a given area, with a few trees having genetic resistance to the insect. From the time of detection, EAB has spread throughout much of the northeastern United States and into Canada where it is now spreading back into the United States, into places like Aquasasne and the northern border of the North Country. We found emerald ash borer in Aquasasne back in 2016. It popped up in one of our purple sticky traps that we had uh, hanging up throughout the reservation. And that was for a forest pest uh, detection survey. And um, it turned up EAB one year. And you know that kind of put it on the radar for Akuzasne. We've heard about it incoming, but we um, we finally seen it in 2016. You know, one bug in one trap, and then by 2017, 2018, you know, we did another round of uh, forest pest surveys, and we start seeing it more and more throughout the community, coming from the west and from the north. With that in mind, you know, we could see the we could see the invasion coming. Basically, so we uh, what we did was we set up a delimitation survey where we established over 200 sentinel trees throughout the community, 
and what these sentinel trees do is um, it attracts the emerald ash borer to that one specific tree and we harvest sections of the tree off of that bait tree sentinel tree and um, from there we we carved back the bark and uh, we were able to get some good data for um, population density and like the current spread there were some algorithms we were able to punch the data in and we got a heat map of Akwazasune showing where the current spread is and population densities and uh, we took that tool and uh, we were able to you know kind of set up new barriers for detection new I guess boundaries from the spread uh, going eastward and within since 2018 well since 2016 actually that first bug we found till now it's only been what three years and uh, it's all the way across the community now from from the west all the way to the east side right <coughs> and so what sort of efforts are you guys doing to sort of mitigate the spread of EAB um, both sort of at Akwesasne and then also outside of Akwesasne so within the north country um, itself okay yep so um so after we got the um the data for the population densities and the current spread we were able to submit that data to USDA APHIS and we work with um with them and uh, New York State DEC and uh US Forest Service and uh, we came up with a plan for releasing parasitoid wasps mm -hmm. in the region. They've been doing research with parasitoid wasps for about the last decade or so to, to see how effective it is. And, um, you know, there's, there's a handful of uh, different parasitoid wasps we've released this year. This is the first year for releases. So um, we're really hopeful that they get established and they can combat the EAB you know, right on that front wave of infestation. Right. Yep, and uh, we do that in Akwazasne and in uh, some of the state forests surrounding the community, the community. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, in the, the North country. country. The wasps that Angelo is talking about here are typically raised in a laboratory and then released into the wild. Once in the wild, two species of the wasp will essentially locate an emerald ash borer larva and then lay eggs inside of this larva. A third species of wasp will typically find emerald ash borer eggs and lay its own eggs within that emerald ash borer egg, hence the term parasitic wasp. In talking with Angelo about the steps that his community are taking against emerald ash borer, I thought it would be important to sort of ask him what he thought the general community of the North Country could do in order to help prevent the spread of EAB and maybe even help to raise awareness about this invasive insect that's going to be devastating to the area. So do you think, do you think there's anything, or I guess, what do you think the most important takeaway from sort of the work that you all do, um, as well as sort of the movement of VAB into St. Lawrence County and Franklin County? What do you think the biggest takeaway would be to someone who is not necessarily involved in forestry or just as sort of a general mem member of the public? Um, or what could they do to get involved with these issues um, and work towards solutions? Oh yeah, okay. So um, 
So for the general public, you know, it's good to realize that black ash and ash trees in general are, you know, a culturally significant resource. And, um, you know, the, the decline of the ash trees in the North Country, it's also going to be leading to a lot of hazards roadside and around people's houses. You know, these trees get real brittle and turn very hazardous once they're infested with EAB long enough. And, um, you know, for the general public, that's, you know, number one concern, safety. And um, if someone has large stand, you know, they can uh, go in and kind of do some selective harvesting to kind of thin out the, um, the ash trees so that it doesn't, they don't become a hazard in the very near future. Uh, there's also, say if you have a valuable, nice ash tree in your front yard, you know, it's a tree you really like, there's injections you can get that will protect the tree up to three years. And, um, you know, that's one way to preserve trees. We, we have uh, certain sites that we've also been injecting trees with mm -hmm. to protect um, seed source. So we're actually standing in uh, pretty close to a spot right now where we did some tree injections. Um, we go in, we measure the trees, collect the data, and then uh, we try to preserve the nicest, healthiest looking trees. So that way they can pass on the genetic uh, resources once the EAB wave kind of crashes through. They'll be left standing and they'll be able to provide seeds for uh, future remediation efforts. Mm -hmm. Yep. So. If people really want to help, um, they can go to their local municipalities and uh, sit in on some meetings and see if they're taking any action towards, you know, EAB uh, mitigation and <coughs> and um, if they have any like a good viable black ash stand, you know, they could open it up to. Uh, to the town say to come in and treat those trees to try and save those seed sources and um, just being open and present and transparent with uh, what what's going on you know in people's backyards and in the state forests things like that with all of that being said there's definitely some hope for black ash in the face of the emerald ash borer invasion the efforts of people like Angelo and the collaboration between indigenous groups and government agencies like the Forest Service, as well as collaborations with private conservation groups, has allowed for a lot of progress to be made in the fight against emerald ash borer. I'm, I'm pretty hopeful for the uh, preservation of, of the ash trees. Um, we've done a lot of seed harvesting and uh, collections, and the um, assistant program manager Les Benedict with the Savage Smoke Tribe. He actually sent tens of thousands of black ash seed to the, uh, the cryo storage facilities out in Denver, Colorado. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of seeds saved over there and there's some, uh, there's like a 1% chance of uh, genetic resiliency um, in the ash trees. And uh, in those seeds that he sent down there, they found some with those uh, with those genetic uh, resiliencies against the EAB. Wow. So pretty hopeful on that. 
and um, when when the EAB first started coming around it was like just as I was starting to get really good at basket making you know I was starting to make a name for myself and I was really getting into the swing of things and um, to hear that the EAB were coming to devastate you know the, the black ash and you know that resource I was just I was just uh, heartbroken because uh, you know it was something so near and dear to my heart and you know culturally emotionally spiritually you know it's real significant for our people and to see that it's threatened in such a way is just so heartbreaking but um since then i've been working really closely with the environment field and the environment division and um you know we've taken those steps since 2016 to where we are now and you know there's there's light at the end of the tunnel there's definitely um a lot of hope for preservation and in the future but uh, I feel like we are gonna get hit with the wave of EAB no matter what we are gonna lose a lot of the forest but you know we still have those seeds and um, these pockets of you know high-value stands that we can protect until this wave passes through and then we can start to rebuild the forest from there right yeah, yeah. definitely and I think <clears throat> I'm definitely oftentimes feeling myself being like a, a very pessimistic person when it comes to sort of forest changes and black ash um, but hearing you talk about all of those things definitely gives me a bit of hope and just knowing that there's a lot of work going into sort of the preservation of these species um, and I think that the genetics um, that's sort of a promising ground too I was not aware of that that's pretty awesome is there anything else that you would like to say um, um, I just want to thank you for you know inviting me out here to, to have this talk with you and uh, it's great it's always great to um, you know share what I know what I have you know it's um, I really appreciate um, you know folks like you you know putting in that effort in the forest to really help these species go along and um, yeah, I just want to really put it out there and say thank you to everyone who works in the environment field and, you know, take care of our uh, our Mother Earth like this. And it's really heartwarming to see that um, there's so much, there's so much uh, drive in people to take care of these kinds of things. And, you know, it's, it makes me, it makes me happy to see, you know, that I can be a part of the solution and uh yeah yeah go <laughs> yeah yeah and thank you so much for coming out and meeting with me um this interview has been great and i hope to keep working with you and talking to you about these things in the future uh so thanks so much yeah definitely angelo has alluded to this idea of symbiosis between his people and the natural world i feel very strongly about the idea of symbiosis between the natural world, and people. And I think that this symbiosis, when embraced by all of us, could lead to a world that is much healthier and happier, paving the way for a sustainable future in which both humans and the natural world can thrive. Understanding things like the Emerald Ash Borer invasion and attempting to help preserve black ash is a part of embracing this idea of symbiosis. Angelo has also described to us how important black ash is to Akwesasne and the ways in which his people have used it to craft baskets for thousands of years. EAB will surely have an impact on black ash and Akwesasne culture, 
However, through collaborative efforts, the preservation of this culturally important species is possible. For more information on Emerald Ash Borer, find the links attached to the podcast's webpage. Also, to get involved, you can take Angelo's advice and head to your local town meetings to find out about conservation efforts and EAB in your area. You could also get involved with citizen science projects run by an organization like Slilo Prison. Again, see the link in our bio. Check out Nature Up North's Instagram and website as well to keep up to date with all of our programming and activities. Get up and go outside with Nature Up North. <laughs>